Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Later on, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Jeremy Greco on to discuss what went wrong for the Royals in 2020. But joining me now is a very special guest. J.J. Cooper is the executive editor of Baseball America, the leading publication on what's happening in the baseball industry. J.J., thanks for being on the podcast. Happy to join Well, you know, as Royals fans, we're kind of used to, uh, you know, the, se- the calendar coming to September and the team kind of being far out of the pennant race. And despite a shortened season this year, uh, it's, it's no exception. Um, this has got a lot of our fans, I think, already kind of turning their heads towards next year. And in particular, I think next year's draft. Uh, now, the Royals are kind of jockeying with a few other teams for the worst record in baseball, uh, which has traditionally determined the draft order for the next year. But uh, I don't think there's a clear sense on, on if, if that will be the case for next year's draft. What are you hearing about how the draft order in 2021 will be determined? I'm not sure that we're going to know, um, even when the regular season ends. I, I think that there's a uh, a pretty good chance that we'll actually kind of the, the dust will clear on the postseason, and then we'll kind of get the, the final uh, decision from MLB on exactly what the format is. And I, I let me throw out some reasons why that may be, uh, you know, I don't, again, I don't have any great insights into, I don't know if it's going to be a combination of last year and this year. It's going to be this year regular season, this year regular season with a little bit of, uh, you know, postseason rolled into that. But but I think one of the reasons we for that kind of hesitancy to announce the, the system is, so let's lay out a scenario. Again, there's 16 teams that are going to make the playoffs, right? You know, so what happens if an eight seed from the AL or NL wins this thing? So... If it's based purely on regular season 2020 record, you could have the World Series champs theoretically picking right in the middle of the first round, which would seem weird. Um, you know, obviously that may not happen. As, you know, that could not happen. And then the question becomes, okay, do you want to base it entirely on 60 games? Do you want to, you know, do you want to roll playoffs in it? Do you want to throw a little bit of, 2019 records into it there's there's no obvious answer on this because this is lower than the number of games that that made it automatic it does give the commissioner's office discretion i still expect that it's going to largely now that it looks knock on wood reasonably comfortable that we are going to finish the 60 game season if that's the case i do think the the largest factor that's going to play a part in the draft is going to be your 2020 regular season record. I just can't be certain 
that that's going to be the only factor as far as how teams line up for the draft. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Some of the teams that the Royals are actually battling, like the Boston Red Sox, who are traditionally not one of the teams that has one of the top few mm-hmm. picks, but because you know they had David Price opt out and Chris Sale was out with Tommy John mm-hmm. surgery and they've kind of had to scramble for a rotation, here they are with one of the worst records. Angels kind of in a similar boat where they so were what about the, What about your 2019 champion Washington Nationals? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you can, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have some pretty good teams, I think, that could be drafting pretty high if you based on 2020, uh, which, you know, what, what a way to bounce back from a bad season like that. Uh, you know, I, I do expect, I think no matter what happens, I think the Royals will probably have one of the top picks. I mean, if you even if you base it on 2019, uh, combine those records, I mean, of course, they were one of the worst teams that year as well. So, you know, I know it's early and we haven't had a lot of amateur baseball in, in several months, but but I, we do have, a, I think, a little bit of an idea of some of the names that will at least be considered, at least be at the top of, of your board at Baseball America when uh, amateur baseball does roll around again. Who are some names to at least kind of start thinking about if you're a Royals fan for, for one of the top picks in next year's draft? Well, the, the Royals have done a very good job of drafting, and I would say kind of one of the strengths of the system has been college, productive college arms. Well, if you like productive college arms, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, you know, the two right-handers from Vanderbilt. By the way, you know, the, the, the Royals have also had success with SEC arms. Um, and, uh, you know, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter are, are going to be very high, you know, on, on boards uh, going into, obviously, the, the 2021 season, which, you know, we say this, I mean, Rocker, it, Rocker obviously kind of had his emergence as kind of a, really a star with his dominating uh, performance in the, uh, the College World Series in 2019. Leiter will be a draft-eligible sophomore. All we got to see with Leiter was some mid-season, I mean, mid-week uh, performances, really, because, you know, obviously Vanderbilt, like everyone else, saw their season cut short even before we got to the, uh, uh, you know, to the, to the you know, really conference play, uh, really. But, but those are two names, obviously, I'd say that are, are pretty high at the top of the list. But I also will say there are, you know, a number of of college position players, you know, uh, Adrian Del Castillo, Matt McClain, who was a first round pick a couple of years ago, the Diamondbacks, who had a was having a uh, very impressive sophomore start to his sophomore season before everything shut down, had a really good cape. Uh, Judd Fabian at Florida, you know, Alex Benayas at, at Louisville. And then there are, you know, there are, uh, you know, obviously, as, as always, there are high school guys, too. And the crazy thing about this year is, is right now, I think there's a little bit more comfort level in some ways you could argue with the high school class because the high school prospects, unlike the college prospects, did play this summer. So scouts have gotten to see them against top-level competition more recently than they've gotten to see the college guys in a lot of cases. But Brady House, Christian Little, Maddox Bruns, I mean, they're, you know, Tyree Reed. There are obviously it, it it doesn't look to be as deep, as impressive as that twenty twenty draft class, which was really good. But the other thing we have to throw into this is that we're gonna have an extra month kind of evaluation time to kind of see what you know how these guys line up because the the twenty twenty one draft's gonna be not be until all star weekend in July. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see uh, how much hoopla is made about the draft this year now that they're kind of combining it with All-Star Weekend. A little bit of a change. And, uh, you know, you're right. That'll be interesting. It'll be actually after the College World Series for a change if 
if we're assuming the, the schedule is kind of the same for college baseball as it's been in the past. But, uh, you know, in the past, it's always been weird to have players drafted, like sometimes in the middle of games during the College World Series. At least now we'll get to see uh, the draft take place once the college season is complete. Um, you mentioned some, you know, college college arms and, and, and certainly Jack, Jack Leiter and, and Kumar Rocker are two guys I think a lot of our readers have, have been kind of had their eyes on for a while, but the Royals did add a college arm in this year's draft in Aza Lacey from Texas A&M. Um, and they've kind of been, you know, uh, really bulking up the farm system with uh, college arms like uh, Brady Singer, who we saw make his debut this year. Uh, what's kind of your sense on where the Royals farm system is? We know a couple of years ago it was pretty lowly rated and they've gotten the draft pretty high and, and usually that helps. Uh, but are they where they need to be and how, you know, where are they kind of in relative to where other clubs are? I would say that it's definitely it's definitely improved, and I mean partly that is partly that should happen. I mean, you know, if you're if you're a, if you're a bad team at the major league level, and if that means that you are you know drafting high, well, that's one of the the benefits when you can draft a Bobby Witt Jr. followed by an Ace Lacy. That makes the farm system a lot better. So so we'll start with that, you know. But on top of that. The other key part is, is okay, well, you got to hit on those. And, you know, if you hit on those picks, then it turns you into a really good farm system. If you don't, doesn't matter how high you pick. Well, with Lacey, I love the Lacey pick, but at the same time, I will kind of give that up an incomplete right now just from the standpoint of, you know, we he didn't even get a full college season. I think he's really good. I think he's going to be really good. But for 2020, you know, we, we can't make a whole lot of judgment from that. You obviously can't make a whole lot of judgments on that for Bobby Witt also, but we can take a, make a little bit more. I, I, don't, I do think that what Bobby Witt did in spring training, what Bobby Witt did in, during summer camp, what Bobby Witt, you know, by all accounts, is doing, you know, has done this summer, I, I kind of feel like that he may have been one of the guys who, if there had been a full 2020 minor league season, he, he would, could have been one of the breakout stars of it. And... And, and and that right there, you know, depth is very important. But having that that top ten prospect in all of baseball, which I think Witt could be pretty quickly from here, that's even more important. And that's kind of to me, kind of one of the most important things for this for this Royals team right now. Now you throw in that they're going to have another very high pick we would expect next July. Yeah, this I, I think that this is a farm system that even with the graduations of some of these pitchers who are starting to make their way through, it, it still has a, it's a, it's a farm system that, you know, it has a chance to, to crack the top 10 as we go into next year. Um, and especially come mid season, if Bobby Witt hasn't graduated, which I don't expect he will. Man. If Bobby Witt Jr. Hasn't graduated and you throw another top five pick on top of Witt and Lacey and the pitching depth they have, it's, it, it, it's a, it's definitely a better farm system than it was. Really, it's, it has a chance to soon be a better farm system than it's been any time since kind of the blue wave of the uh, early part of the last decade. Yeah, it's really a shame that we didn't get a chance to see what Bobby Witt could do uh, at the at the minor league level this year, uh, because it, it seemed like it could have been a really really good year to get kind of get his uh, development going, and he could have uh, I think given Royals fans you know a lot of reason to to hope for the future. And, and you know he has shown some some 
uh, glimpses of that in summer camp and was drawing rave reviews. But uh, we were kind of robbed of that. And, he, and of course, he was robbed of a, a year of development there. Uh, you know, looking at the Royals farm system, is there maybe a guy that you're really high on? Maybe maybe not an obvious name like Bobby Witt, but maybe someone else that um, you think, OK, that's a guy that, that, that you've been kind of high on his um, on his stock for a while. I mean, if we're going to sleeper sleeper, I, I do think that John's usually, uh, you know, the, uh, the the right-hander is, uh, is a guy just was added to the off-site, um, I think, pretty recently. But he's not in that first wave of, of Royals pitching prospects. I think he's got a chance to there, – there's enough there to be, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a useful MLB contributor, you know, as a, either as a reliever or maybe even as – probably as a reliever, I'll be honest with you. Um, I still want to kind of see what, uh, you know, what Brewer Hicklin does again, once we get back to kind of normalcy in the world of, you know, minor league baseball, uh, I want normalcy in the world overall, let's <laughs> yeah. be honest. but, you know, but, but, you know, but with baseball and all, like, what can he do? I mean, there's some things there that he has to, you know, he does have to improve, but at the same time, there are impressive tools, um, yeah, you know, I've I've definitely talked to guys over the last couple of years who think that there's something there, and you know when you throw the 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 Wilmington filter, and which means that you have to kind of bump up all, all the numbers, you know, for statistically, what he did in in Wilmington in 2019, the last time he got played, you know, in a season, was, was pretty impressive actually. So I, I think those are two kind of deeper guys that I'm I'm very interested in. You know, we're talk, talking about the minor leagues. Uh, you, Baseball America has done some really great reporting on what looks like is going to be a huge sea change and kind of how the minor leagues operates. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of a story that's maybe, you know, has gone under the radar to a lot of baseball fans. So for anyone that maybe isn't paying attention to, to what's going on with the minor leagues, can you give us like a, like a broad overview sure. of what Major League Baseball is trying to do and kind of what's at stake as they negotiate with the minor leagues on how they're going to operate? And I completely agree with you. I think that this is one of the one of the big stories in baseball, one of the big stories in baseball for years. But you know, I do think it's kind of flying under the radar in a lot of ways. But but basically, MLB is at this point. I I I try to stay away from proclamations, but we're at the point now where I can say comfortably, MLB is going to reduce the number of minor league teams. To each club will have four full season teams. So a low A, a high A, a double A, a triple A. They're going to eliminate the short season in rookie leagues. Like, you know, the Royals had a team in Idaho Falls, you know, in short, in, in short season, and they had a rookie ball team in the Appalachian League in uh, Burlington. Those levels are going away. They're still going to be the, the Royals will still have an A, you know, A or maybe two. I, that part's unclear, but an AZL team, Dominican team. But that's going to be the farm system. So the farm system is going to be two teams smaller for the Royals. And, you know, uh, across the board, there's going to be 40 or so clubs that are eliminated uh, to do this. That's part of the reason that the draft was reduced to five rounds last year. That's part of the reason the draft almost assuredly will never be 40 rounds again. So the structure of the minors in that way are going to change. But on top of that, it's also true that basically we're looking – in the next month, we're recording this in early September, in the next month, a uh, month and a half, I would expect that we'll have a, a final announcement of Major League Baseball taking over running the minors. And I have a piece coming up at BaseballAmerica.com, you know, trying to explain that because I get a lot of people who, I don't blame them. It's, it's a complicated issue, but don't understand what that means. That doesn't mean that 
every, the MLB is going to run every minor league team. It doesn't mean if you're a fan of, you know, the, you know, the, the Omaha club that all of a sudden the Omaha storm chasers aren't going to be a Royals affiliate. And they're just going to have a random assemblage of, of minor league players. And I say that because I've had that question asked, but, um, but what it does mean is that going forward, Major League Baseball is going to be in charge of running the minors. And so MLB will be in charge of scheduling. MLB is going to have much longer, set up much longer affiliation licensing agreements between minor league clubs and their major league teams. So we're not, we're almost assuredly not going to have the every two year affiliation shuffle that, that goes on right now. MLB is going to be in charge of this. And that's going to bring to an end. And I say this, you know, Pat O'Connor, the president of minor league baseball announced his retirement yesterday. Um, MILB told its employees in its office in St. Petersburg that they should look for other employment yesterday. This is the, the deal may not be final, but this is happening. You know, this is something where minor league baseball, which has been run independently from major league baseball ever since they organized into the national association in 1903, that will end effectively, it looks like, at the end of the 2020 season, and Major League Baseball will run the minors from 2021 and beyond. And it's, it's crazy because this is going to have a huge impact on, on several communities across the country. I mean, we, we took a summer trip through North Carolina, and, and you know all these little towns I'd heard of because of minor league baseball, you know, High Point and Zebulon and Burlington, and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know with a snap of the finger, all these teams are going to lose affiliated uh, teams and 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 you know maybe the, some of them will be able to survive in some sort of independent league, but um, it's going to definitely get a lot of these teams are going to go under, if not because of that, but because of the pandemic, you know the the one two punch of those two things, uh, which is really just just too bad. You know what's what's the driving force behind this? Is it is it really just a cost issue with with baseball teams? Because it seems rather penny wise but pound foolish in the long run. I think there's a number of things. Um, one is is that there has been. MLB dissatisfaction um, with some parts of the current system. Um, And and I say that, like, okay, to give you an example, um, the Royals were involved in this, you know, years ago. But there's been a long-running time where where you had a, a situation where everyone kind of played musical chairs and... Everyone at the, you know, when affiliation shuffles were going on every two years, everyone was trying to avoid being in Bakersfield or High Desert or Lancaster in the California League in High A. And every year, there would be losers in this battle who would end up, you know, being out there. And what would happen is often those same teams would then buy uh, a High A team or do something to figure out a way to get out of there the next time that the, the, the musical chairs game was played. And this was the problem that MLB really was unhappy about, complained about for multiple years. And really for a decade, not much of anything happened about this. And so that was something that, that kind of bothered MLB. Um, understandably, minor league baseball, you know, has its own governance system. Well, some of those things with that governance system means that when there have been other issues, like the, the Florida Fire Frogs are a team in high A that they, uh, they, they, they didn't, uh, they, they didn't have a home for, for 2020 because, which they ended up not playing, but they didn't have a home because they'd sold their lease 
for their club. And it was kind of this team and the two owners were suing each other and there was a lot going on. Um, and MLB, you know, kind of wanted it fixed. But minor league baseball kind of has a process and so it took a lot longer to have things like that resolved. There were issues like that on top of the fact that absolutely the other part of it is is that MLB at the end of the day viewed it as there are more players that we're signing, there are more players than we need. Now, that's not a universal <laughs> agreement. There, you, you can find MLB teams, and I would say the Royals are one of the ones strongest, most staunchly, who believe that there is value in having more minor league teams because there may be that one player you don't expect to have it all click, but it all clicks for them. And if you find one productive reliever out of having an extra team in Burlington, North Carolina, well, then that pays for the, you know, really we're talking about pretty modest amount of expense that you're spending to field a team in Burlington. And so there is a cost component to this. There's also a, I would say that there's kind of a, a consolidation component, which is, okay, now with this, MLB is going to more closely run, you know, tie minor league baseball to major league baseball, which there could be good things about that. There could be things that people are less thrilled about that. Like, I mean, there could be some good with that. I, every year I will, as a habitual MLB, MILB TV watcher, you know, I've had my frustrations with kind of the, that's something that's been run by MLB, but it's only been because of a contract with MILB. And so that doesn't have nearly the features that MLB TV does. And there were years where I couldn't watch a game on my phone because it didn't have an Android app that streamed video and all that. Those kind of things will go away. Those kind of things I would expect will improve. I think that you'll see kind of more visibility for minor league baseball now in the MLB run system simply because MLB has the platform to give it more visibility. So there will be some aspects like that that some people may, you know, may prefer. But so I, I don't think that this is something anyone who tells you when something like this happened that it's all good or all bad probably I would say that that means that they're they're coming at it from a standpoint, you know, a pretty staunch standpoint, which is fine, but it, it probably is, is always going to be a little bit more in the middle than that. And there are absolutely going to be communities that lose out because of this, and there are absolutely going to be baseball players who don't have jobs in 2021 because of this, and coaches and all that. So there's a lot of potentially, you know, harmful effects from this for a whole lot of people. At the same time, there also probably will be some effects that when we look back on it, you know, five, six, seven years ago, we will say, oh, that was something that was a positive that came out of this as well. Yeah, I'm sure you guys will be on top of uh, covering the, the impacts and what, what all the changes that happens in minor league baseball and, and, and for years to come, like you say, it's, there's going to be some ramifications for a while. Tell us what we can find at uh, BaseballAmerica.com uh, with, with a subscription. So... So right now, if you uh, check it out, we're actually rolling out updated draft rankings coming out real soon with reports. So kind of a little bit of our, now that we've somewhat wrapped up the summer uh, showcase season, we're kind of you know talking to a lot of scouts and kind of updating what we should look for for the 2021 draft, also for 2022 draft coming up too. But if you have interest in the stuff we just talked about, about the minor leagues, if you just go and click on my name on any story that I've written on Baseball America or you search for you know MILB, you know, professional baseball agreement, anything like that, you're going to have a whole lot of reading. Um, in fact, actually, we're posting just now uh, kind of a Q&A where I'm answering fans' questions to try to answer some of the 
the the questions that the fans have that not understand every aspect of this understandably i'm trying to lay that out and if you read that and you have a question that i haven't answered i, I have a way on there that you can still continue to ask me i'm going to kind of keep that updated so i can try to help educate fans about what this MILB, MLB negotiations, what this is going to mean, especially if you're a baseball fan. Yeah, I've had a subscription to Baseball America for, for a couple of years now, and it's it's really indispensable for anyone that, if you are a college baseball fan, if you're really big in the draft or prospects, or if you're looking for a job in the baseball industry, I mean, I think it's really important to know what's going on, and, uh, and it's always a valuable resource, so I really appreciate the work you and all your all your staff do at BaseballAmerica.com, and uh Definitely, we'll be reading uh, and and seeing what happens with uh, all the minor league uh, changes that we're going to see. Cool. Thank yeah. you. I mean, seriously, because again, we can't do this without subscribers. So, thank you for doing that because that is what allows us to do what we do. And so, thank you, Max. Yeah, we can follow JJ on Twitter at jjcoop36. JJ, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast today. Happy to join you. And joining me now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing on this, uh, I guess, the end of summer now? We, we were, were kind of uh, unofficially into fall. How are you doing? Yeah, the weather seems like it today. So, I, you know, I know some people don't like it at 95 degrees or 100 degrees, and some people don't like it at, uh, you know, 2 degrees. So it's nice that at least for the next few months we'll probably get something in the middle there, which will, which will be nice. Do some hiking, everyone. I love Oh, wait, Chris- no. Yeah, never mind. You can't hike. You just need to socially distance hike. So. Yeah, well, yeah. There's the hiking's good. Just just keep your distance. But I I love the crisp sixty degree weather. I think it it also kind of reminds me that you know it's football season now and postseason baseball is kind of around the corner. Uh, which we well, may not involve the Royals this year, but I still it's still kind of a, I love this time of year. Typically, um, we'll see if I love it as much uh, with the pandemic uh, underway. But uh, also joining us is Jeremy Greco, better known as Hokias. Jeremy, how are you doing on this uh, unofficial fall day? Uh, you know, it's it's definitely fall because I got to tell you, here in Georgia, it only got up to eighty-seven degrees today. Oh. So we're <laughs> we're we're practically in winter here. It, they didn't like uh, cancel uh, schools and businesses because of the roads were bad because it's eighty-seven degrees today. Is that is that is that when it's too cold to do anything? I think it's got to get down to seventy for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, like I said, uh, you know, it's it is kind of. Uh, that time of year where we have uh, postseason baseball maybe around the corner. And there was some talk, I think, before the season that with a shortened season and an expanded playoffs, perhaps the Royals could even get hot for a week or two and surprise people with a run at the postseason. And I hate to break it to everyone, but that didn't exactly happen. We still have a few weeks left in the year, but the Royals do not look like they will be in the postseason. And instead, they're actually vying for the worst record in baseball and you know jeremy you took you wrote an article last week uh kind of taking stock on the season so far and what we've learned about the royals this year in your estimation what went wrong for the royals in 2020 i know there was difficult circumstances but uh you know all 30 teams had to deal with uh you know pretty similar circumstances and when it came to the pandemic what went wrong specifically for the royals well as far as their playoff hopes Uh, what went wrong the biggest thing to my mind was the middle infield situation Um, Nicky Lopez and Adalberto Mondesi have been two of the worst hitters in the big leagues and they have started almost every game at those two positions Um, I know that the plan going into the year was to play a lot of Whit Merrifield in the outfield so we could see some Nicky Lopez but I was hoping he would play more second base than this and I can't think that 
anyone thought Adalberto Mondesi would be this bad. Yeah, he's been pretty disappointing. Uh, and, you know, I think he's a guy that there, a lot of people are kind of banking on having uh, a breakout season uh, because we kind of been hoping for this. And, and, you know, the big knock on him is that he's been hurt. And you would think that – and I know he came into the season with a shoulder injury, but you, we thought that maybe with the pandemic he might have some more time to recover from it and that with a shortened season, uh, you know, it's much more likely he could stay healthy for 60 games than for 162 and it just seems like he's just lost the play. And I know we talk, we've harped on it a lot the last couple of weeks about why he's struggling. And, and then, you know, he did have a big home run on Monday, 458-foot shot that, um, I mean, just gives you a tantalizing glimpse of what he can do. But but no doubt he's been a huge disappointment uh, when it comes to Royals. But, you know, he's only one player, Sean. And it seems like the Royals' problems perhaps are a little more systemic than that. I mean, uh, you know, in baseball, it takes, it takes a lot of guys to be that bad. What, what in your estimation is, is wrong with the Royals? Yeah. I mean, it's been just a lot of everything, right? Cause actually, um, I think the last time I checked on the, um, you know, obviously my, my Bible, uh, fan graphs, um, I think Royals hitting, uh, it was doing better. I mean, they, so let me say it differently. The hitting itself, I think they had an 85 or right now they're an 86 WRC plus as a team, um, which isn't great, which is, let me sort real quick, which makes it the 20 tied for the 26th worst. Um, coincidentally with the team from Cleveland. Uh, so, you know, both of them are hitting just as poorly. Uh, but yet it seems like their defense is actually pretty bad. I think they're, they were worth, it uh, looks like negative 10 runs on defense, which is the 25th uh, worst. Uh, or sorry, fifth worst, I guess, the way to say it. So, yeah, I mean, the the hitting's been bad. The defense has been, I think, kind of the, the more stranger thing of being bad. And that's a little bit of that was Mondesi as well. Um, there's been a lot of calls with Merrifield. He needs to be moved back to second base. But they've got Lopez, who's been great at second base for the most part. Um, so it's been a little bit of hitting, but I think it's really just been the pitching. I mean, the Royals right now, 1.1 war as a, uh, a, a pitching staff entirely, bullpen and starters, which is the 28th. Uh, worst somehow the red sox are at negative one and a half as a team which is pretty crazy uh which is very very bad but yeah it's just been a little bit of everything um we could talk about this later as well but i have a my my piece about um the different demographics the performance of the different demographics of the team and yeah i mean the, the older guys are doing all right the younger guys aren't so it's just been a little bit of everything um that and i wonder if there's been some bad luck stuff in there too right because it feels like they played a lot of close games um but, you know, there's been some blowouts, i.e. against the White Sox recently. But it feels like they've had a couple games where they've come back or had like an actual late. Brian McBroom's come in and hit a go-ahead or, or game-tying pinch hit home run, and then they've kind of blown it. That's feels like they've lost some close games, too. Yeah, and I, I think there are, there are probably a couple of caveats. I mean, it's, number one, it's, it's a short season. I mean, it's only, uh, you know, they've only played 42 games. And ordinarily, we'd be like in the middle of March or, or middle of May. And I don't, you know, which by that point, you kind of know who the good teams and who the bad teams are. But I don't know if the Royals are this bad necessarily. I mean, they could be. But in 40 games, like a lot of crummy teams can can look even worse than maybe they would normally be. I mean, right now, the winning percentage is actually worse than it has been the last two seasons. So I don't know. I, I can't look at them right now and say, yeah, that's a worse team than the 2000. I mean, the 2018 team seemed, seemed dreadful to me. Uh, even last year's team was pretty bad. Uh, this well, one actually doesn't seem quite as bad, but I don't know. Yeah. Go, go, go ahead. You can, 
you could take solace in knowing that they're underperforming their Pythag by two games. So they yeah. should be 16 and 26 instead of yeah. 14 and 28. So we got that going for them. We might win the Pythag underperformance uh, title. Yeah, and then there's no doubt they're, they're a bad team. I just don't know if they really are, like, the worst team in baseball. Uh, the other thing is, like, their schedule. They've played yeah. mostly almost all American League Central teams, and the American League Central is dang good this year, and they're, yep. they've dropped 9 of 10 to the White Sox, which – uh, I mean, that's just one team beating up on the other. And, and you know, if they played another, you know, if they played a, an easier schedule, I'm not saying they'd have a winning record, but uh, they have played by far the most games in baseball against uh, teams with a winning record um, just because they're in the Central. And you wonder if they had maybe a little more neutral schedule, could they be a little bit closer to 500? I don't think they, you know, I, like I said, I don't think there's any illusions that are a good team, but... But that, that that has to have somewhat of an impact through forty games. I don't. Is that enough to maybe couch things and 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 add caveats to you, Jeremy, or, or does it still look like a pretty crummy team? It's the the problem with the team, to my way of thinking, isn't necessarily uh, the team. I think you're right. I think this is a better team than it was in t- 2018. But I think that a lot of that is still is, is still on promise. Um, because I think that a big part of what's better about this team is the rotation, uh, and Brady Singer and Chris Bubich have impressed me with the eye test, but not necessarily impressed with their actual results or their, uh, you know, their statistical results. So that, that way I feel like the rotation is better with them in it. And yet it's, it's not leading to more wins, at least not yet. Yeah, and I wonder if some of that is just is that they don't have a good team around them. Like you sometimes, I mean, I know there's there's been a start where like Brady Singer almost got out of it, but um, you know, Michael Franco kind of didn't, you know, wasn't great on a ground ball, and that adds another out, out to the inning, and then Singer gives up a hit, and then that kind of snowballs. Uh, that 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 could have a cumulative effect, especially when you're talking about a short, a small sample size like this. Uh, because I, I agree with you, I think Singer in has shown flashes of brilliance and. Look, he's a rookie. There's there's going to be some inconsistency there, but uh, it seems like he's been better than maybe his numbers would suggest. And same for Chris Bubich. I think I think you look at them and you see the potential, uh, even if the numbers aren't they're not like blowing you know the league away with their numbers so far. Uh, Sean, you kind of touched upon your article a, a week ago about how uh, there was a kind of an age gap in between how hitters were performing. What was uh, what was kind of your your conclusion uh, as to how the Royals hitters are doing? Yeah, I mean, at that point, um, it, it was on both sides. It wasn't the younger the younger side, which I considered uh, 26 and younger. Um, originally thought, well, you might be able to do 25. Um, that kind of seems like it's where young and old was. But I kind of gave I gave an extra year on there, and just to get a kind of wider bucket. And uh, yeah, I came up with 26 as the um, the kind of cutoff in the 26 and unders. Um, we're we're doing we're doing fairly bad. Uh, the batters twenty six and under were dead last. I, I haven't updated it since I think it came out August 29th or something uh, or twenty seventh. So it should be relatively close. Um, I shouldn't might not change that much, but yeah, the the hitting side was dead last. Fifty five WRC plus negative eight WAR, um, and then the twenty seven and older side was doing a little better. I think they were like tenth or so. Uh, at 109 WRC plus, so nine percent above league average hitting against 45 percent below league average hitting. Um, so big difference from batters. And then uh, pitching was 
about the same on a relative basis. The the pitchers twenty six and under were basically break even. Uh, they were zero WAR. Um, the twenty seventh and older were actually at a positive WAR figure point five WAR. But relatively speaking, against the rest of the league, the younger pitchers actually were. Uh, a few spots higher uh, in ranking overall. So, but overall, when you do both batters and hitters, I mean, the Royals were dead last um, when it comes to WAR for 26 and under players, and they were kind of more middle of the pack for 27 and older. So, uh, it just seems like you know, I, I'm not 100% sure that the young guys are guys in. They're definitely guys like Singer and Ubik and you know Mondesi uh, are worth. Obviously, playing again next year, and Keller too. Uh, obviously, worth and Stamont, you know, going the rest of the season, and also next season, giving them all the time they can. But there are very few guys, I think, currently on this roster that you can look at for 2022, 2023 as pieces you're fairly confident are going to be good in there, as opposed to someone like maybe say the, the White Sox roster, where they've got four or five, maybe even six guys that you can pretty solidly count on to still be good, be young in 2022, 2023 that aren't part of that, like, okay, we're just trying to see who's good right now. The Royals' younger side doesn't have a lot of guys who are like, we feel like these guys are good at this current standpoint. And that could change, obviously. Um, the shortened season this year is just about over, but next year you've got what should be a full 162-game slate. So could change, um, but there are, I think there are more question marks now on who will be here in 2022, 2023 than there were to start the season. Um, you've seen, you know, you've seen large regression is probably the wrong word, but you've seen a very, very far step back from Mondesi. Uh, I think Singer and Bubik have been okay. Um, you know, they, I always thought they were four or five and number four, and number five starters, but um, you know, Singer can't get left handers out. Bubik hasn't been striking anybody out. So it's just been kind of strange. And Keller's, Keller's been good from an ERA standpoint, um, but I think let me look at his K nine right now. I mean, he's striking out six point two three per nine and walking three point three eight, which are fairly low numbers, and that's right on par with where he is uh, throughout his career numbers. So he didn't take much of a step forward from that standpoint. So he looks like a nice number four or so. But you know, we're still waiting on uh, the Royals to have a true front of the rotation guy and a couple true guys in the lineup they can plug in and know they're solidly going to be good. We're still still feeling that out at this point. So, I yeah, I think I'd feel better about the season if you had, uh, you know, the Royals were losing, but it was like some of, some of the older guys maybe were regressing, but you had Ryan O'Hearn turning into a really solid, you know, above-average first baseman, or you had Nicky Lopez showing he was, uh, you know, uh, had a power surge or, you know, was proving to be a pretty good hitter, or, or you had some kind of surprise hitter, maybe a maybe even a Bubba Starling or Khalil Lee or Franchi Cordero had really emerged as kind of a, a nice surprise as a young player. But we really haven't had that. And it does make me kind of wonder how much turnover we're going to see in the next year or two with the hitters in this lineup. And it did get me thinking about, like, you know, even immediately next season, what kind of lineup we'll see. Uh, uh, you know, we've already kind of seen uh, Hunter Dozier playing a little bit more first base. Uh, last week we talked about kind of the outfield being a little more uh, congested, I think, with the acquisition of Edward Olivares. Um, you know, makes me wonder maybe if Whit Merrifield, if he gets moved from the outfield or maybe even traded altogether this offseason. Uh, but we could see him back at second base, maybe supplanting Nicky Lopez a little bit. 
I don't know if Alberto Monesi is even necessarily a lock at shortstop anymore after the disappointing season he's had. I think he's probably going to be there for a while, but um, but you know, like we talked about last week, you know, we there's there's at least some doubt now that he is the future at shortstop, especially with Bobby Witt coming up. Uh, and if Bobby Witt doesn't play short, then it seems like he might play third. So you wonder, will Michael Franco, who's under club control next year, uh, is he going to be here next year? Is he going to be here beyond that? Um, you know, I think eventually we may see Witt there, or, or if he's not at shortstop. So you know, Jeremy. How do you, I mean, I know it's still a ways to go. We still have a couple more weeks of this season and an off season to go. Uh, and, you know, heck, who knows how baseball will look next spring. Uh, knowing with us pandemic uh, still kind of uh, providing a lot of uncertainty. But in your mind, looking at kind of the, some of the hitters we have, are you penciling in any kind of 2021 starting lineup or other guys maybe on the roster now that, you know, you are thinking, I don't really need to see more of them. Uh, just going, going through the, 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 the young hitters in this lineup, who, who's who's here for the long term, you think? Well, it's hard to say about the long term, but for next year for sure, I think we're definitely going to see Salvador Lopez when he's hopefully Salvador gets his, his eye issue. Why did I say Lopez? I don't know. He's uh, yeah, the uh, we, long-lost father of Nicky Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> Salvador, Salvador, I just call him Salvi, so all yeah. of a sudden I say his last name and I can't talk. He's like Cher. Uh, he only needs to know one name. So <laughs> he's so Salvi's going to be in the lineup. Uh, Dozier's going to be in the lineup somewhere. Uh, and Soler's going to be in the lineup. That's all I'm willing to to prompt well no i think unlike you i'm gonna go ahead and say adalberto mondesi is definitely in the lineup next year i think adalberto mondesi is going to be in the starting lineup as long as he is under his rookie contract and and as long as dayton moore is the gm if dayton moore stops being the gm or they have to start paying mondesi more then and only then is it possible that he'll leave the starting lineup um there's there's just too much invested, I think, in Dayton Moore, Dayton Moore's reputation, uh, for Mondesi to not just get every opportunity to figure out what's going on, and he's got too much talent, I think, and that's how Mon- how uh, Moore would would phrase it. He would say Mondesi's got too much talent to to give up on him until you absolutely have to. Um, Whit Merrifield, I can't. I, I think he will be in the lineup somewhere. I think he'll probably be in the outfield because I think they'll probably keep running Nicky Lopez out there next year. I think they're going to say, oh, this was a short year and it was a weird year, so Nicky, Nicky didn't ever get into a groove. Um, but we know we could have, even though we've now seen two seasons, however long you want to... I mean, it's not really a full season, but we've seen two years of this Nicky Lopez that can't hit for power that can't walk, that strikes out far more in the big leagues than he did in the minor leagues. And that was that was basically why he got away with everything he did in the minor leagues was he didn't strike out. Um, Michael Franco has earned a lineup spot for next year. I don't think Bobby Witt is, is coming up next year. I just don't see it, at least not till late in the year. So Michael Franco, I think, is definitely back next year. And Alex Gordon, he's got to retire, right? He's got to. Um, and the Royals have got to stop starting him, even if he doesn't. Yeah, I wonder and... if that's, that's one of those heart-to-heart talks that Dayton Moore has to have with Alex's... I don't know how much longer he wants to play, but 
at some point kind of like the adults in the room have to kind of have a you know a talk a long talk about his limitations at this age and 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 the fact that they really need to see some younger guys i mean i know it would be much easier if there was like some stud left fielder we had that was like okay forcing the issue but and i know you know clearly is pretty good i like to see i definitely want to see what clearly can do at this point and i'm a little surprised we haven't heard more about him maybe coming up uh and maybe that'll happen at some point in the last couple weeks but um, you know, he played in double A last year. He had pretty good numbers. A jump to the big leagues is not very big uh, from double A. Um, and so I'm, I think we, we should see him at least a little bit. Um, but yeah, having Gordon in the lineup every day, I can't imagine they're going to do that again next and, year, but you never know. And even with all the losing, the thing that's frustrated me the most this year was that they started the year with Franchi Cordero, Bubba Starling, and Brett Phillips, who all were ostensibly young, talented outfielders who might be able to finally put it together. And they started Alex Gordon. And they started Alex Gordon. And they started Alex Gordon. And it's like, can anybody else have a chance? And then Franchi got hurt, which is what Franchi does. And Bubba has gotten to play some and he's not been great. And Brett was playing pretty well in very limited appearances. And then the Royals traded him. And and I, I still wonder if that Brett Phillips trade is going to be one that bites them in the butt. The Rays seem to know what they're doing. And if they want a, a Brett Phillips, and I remember hearing rumors last year that they were looking at him, trying to get the Royals to give him up. Uh, so if the Rays want Phillips that bad, I got to believe that there's something there that they think they can unlock that the Royals can't. I mean, otherwise, why bother? I mean, I know Lucius Fox wasn't a big deal for their lineup, but if they don't think Brett Phillips is something, then why bother trading for him? Well, and then they still have kind of a similar situation now where they could be getting a look at Ryan McBroom, who I know is not a very good defensive outfielder, but getting him some reps at the plate will give you a chance to see you know what he's capable of, so that maybe he's a first baseman for the future, or at least at least a, a release for the near future, or DH when Soler leaves, or some role as a bat, bat off the bench. But he needs to get some reps in. Uh, and Alex Gordon, I mean, I love the guy. He's one of my favorite Royals of all time. But he has been a fixture in that starting lineup, and it's been to the detriment of some of the younger hitters. Uh, and look, like I said, it's it's not like these are studs that are just begging for, you know, some playing time. But, you know, and it would it'd be a lot better if they were performing well in the limited opportunities they got, although McGroom has, has done very well and, and very limited playing time. Um, but, and, and you know, it would be nice if some of these guys, other guys were kind of forcing the issue a little bit. But, uh, you know, there's something to be said about letting a, a young player kind of be in the everyday starting lineup, get in the groove, uh, and, and kind of uh, get a chance to show what he can do. Uh Sean, just kind of looking at some of the younger guys, younger hitters in this in this organization that are at the major league level already. I mean, who are some of the guys you think uh, are here for the long term? Some of the guys that are maybe get one more shot next year, and guys you're kind of ready to to move on with. Yeah, I was trying to. Uh, I was gonna make that a, a proper article, but I can definitely think of some off the top of my head. I mean, I think of. I was I was thinking it of from a standpoint of okay who are the guys we hope were here for the future that suddenly maybe suddenly is the wrong word but they're the the probability of them being a 2022 2023 pieces I alluded to earlier has been lessened um, I think that's obviously guys like Merrifield uh, not Merrifield uh, Mondesi 
I think you've got guys like, uh, you know, Ryan O'Hearn, Nicky Lopez. Um, I'd say both of the 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 2018 uh, college pitcher half of it uh, group with Bubik and Singer. Now, this isn't saying that they aren't going to be on the roster. I think they'll get plenty of chances. Um, but I think the probability of, you know, having them solidly on a – we could pencil these guys in as a future uh, piece. I think it's lessened a little bit. I think Keller actually I, – I, I was talking earlier about Keller's stock being down. It's probably actually really about the same now that I think about it. I mean, I would love for him to make a breakout and strikeouts. Um, I think he struck out one guy last night over seven innings or whatever it was. Um, and so I just think this is what it's going to be. It's it's going to be that kind of Jeremy Guthrie. Matt, you had a really good comp, Max. Didn't you come up with someone? We were just talking on Twitter about this. Ooh, I can't recall off the top of my head. Was it Guthrie? I don't, I don't know. I don't uh, remember making that comparison. To be okay, honest. it's all right. Um, I'll think of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I think of guys like some guys have done. Uh, I don't know. Some some guys have moved up, moved down. It's just kind of trying to figure out who's going to be the long term piece. And I don't know. I, I think that you've got in the minors. There's not a ton in the higher levels is kind of the thing. I mean, Kelvin Gutierrez maybe hasn't gotten the full thing, but he's 26. Um, Franchi Cordero, you know, again, another guy who's 26 that will figure out what it's going to be, but he's always kind of hurt. Uh, you know, I just – a lot of it is that if the the biggest blow would be if that 18 pitching class, which um, – oh, Carlos Hernandez is a guy who I think his stock is rising. Um, but I think of that 2018 pitching class, we've seen half of them so far. Uh, I obviously not written off at all, but uh, out the gate, the 70 innings, or whatever they've combined pitch hasn't been too great. Um, the, but you've still got the Coar and Lynch um, that that could still do good, and then also Lacey. So you've got some guys there, but uh, I think we have taken a hit on the 2022-2023 roster or the idea of competing um, within the next say three years, um, which I thought was an optimistic timeline to kind of begin with. Yeah, I think next year will be kind of be a pretty pivotal year for a lot of these guys. I think a lot of them, you know, it, it was a, it was an odd year. It was kind of a weird year. I, I think the, a lot of people around baseball are going to be kind of loath to evaluate guys just based on what happened this season because it was a weird 40-game schedule where guys were, you know, had a, a interrupted spring training and maybe they weren't, you know, prepared or whatever. Um, so I don't to think – nothing. Nothing To say nothing of the games that ended up getting skipped or the seven-inning doubleheaders. Right because of the the covid and the weather and everything yeah and you have no fans and you got you know and the royals are only playing like the indians and when you only play the indians like your hitting statistics are going to look really bad uh so there's a lot of extenuating circumstances so i don't think they're going to be like okay well, we've seen enough of nicky lopez um so so i think that i think next year will be that kind of that year where they kind of okay here's we're our last big audition for ryan O'Hearn and nicky lopez and uh, I don't know, Bubba Starling, I don't know if he's run out of chances, but but this may be the last opportunity really for Franchi Cordero to show that he's healthy and can, and I know we, we just acquired him, but like you say, Sean, he's not that young anymore. Um, you know, and I'm not saying the Royals are going to cut him like if he has a bad year, but he may be, they, they may be like, okay, well, he he's not a guy we can count on. It may be time for us to kind of move on to like Kyle Isbell or, you know, hopefully Cleo Lee already has a spot by then, but uh, maybe a Cleo Lee or maybe someone else that's kind of a Brewer Hicklin. Who knows? Maybe he's ready by the end of next year. Um, so I, I think that will be a pretty pivotal year for a lot of those kind of guys. But just kind of looking around the lineup, I think I think you can you can put in Salvia Catcher, uh, Salvador Perez, not Salvador Lopez. Yeah. Uh, first base will be kind of interesting. I, I kind of 
I, I think Hunter Dozier is going to be the first base next year. I, I, I almost wonder if Ryan O'Hearn has kind of missed his opportunity there because uh, the outfield is getting kind of crowded. Dozier is not a great right fielder. I think we can all, you know, he's not terrible out there, but I think the Royals would prefer a, a, a guy that can cover some ground, have, have a str- strong arm. And Dozier profile is pretty good at first base. His bat, I think, would play at first base. Um, and he's got a kind of a tall build anyway, so he, I, you know, and, and he's a former infielder, so you presume he has pretty soft hands and can handle the position pretty well. So I, I kind of think he ends up at first base next year, uh, perhaps even to start the year. Uh, second base will be interesting just because I don't know if they're going to move Witt back to second, if they go with Nicky Lopez and Witt's in the outfield, or if they trade Witt altogether. I think there's a real interesting decision to make. I think they're probably open-minded. Uh, and, and keeping all options open at this point, uh, but I'm really interested to see what they do with second base. Um, it's possible that you know Witt moves back to second, and maybe Nicky Lopez is more of the utility guy because they they haven't had a really good like backup infielder this year. It's been kind of you know Eric Mejia and Matt Reynolds and and uh, you know guys that I don't think they feel that comfortable having on the roster. Uh, so Nicky Lopez might be that that nice utility guy. Hey, he played third base in tonight's game, so maybe that gives him a little more value. Uh, Montesi, I think, is going to be at short for a little bit. I don't think this year has ruined that, that for him, although uh, maybe the leash is a little bit shorter than it was before. Franco has probably earned a spot to play third base again next year. Like I said, he's under club control. Um, he's not going to be terribly expensive. I'm not a huge fan of him, but he he, can, he has some pop, and he, has, he can do some things offensively, uh, and he's probably better than what you can find elsewhere in this organization, and and probably better what you can find without spending too much money out in the open market. So uh, he makes sense at third. The outfield's going to be really interesting, though. I don't like you said. I don't. Alex Gordon can he? He can't. He can't be coming back. I mean, I know you'd think that he would announce at some point before the end of the season that he's going to retire. But on the other hand, he didn't do that last year, and he doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy to make a big deal about it. So you know, this may be another like I'm going to take all off season to to ponder it, um, but. You know, I I think I'd rather see them go in a younger direction. I want to see Khalil Lee out there. I want to see Edward Edward Alvarez. I want to see Franchi Cordero. I think Kyle Isabel probably isn't too far behind. Um, Nick Heath uh, is not super young and and hasn't hit a ton in the minors, but he probably has some sort of role as like a fourth fifth outfielder. So I you know hopefully they go a little bit younger next year. Um, but we'll have to see. I think like I said, I think there's a lot of Interesting decisions I'll have to make uh, with the lineup next year, and uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do. So <laughs> I guess we have an all, a whole off season uh, to see. But uh, I did want to mention that um, you know they 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 might have some financial flexibility next year, uh, and I don't know. Like I know the team took a hit with COVID this year, um, and and then a lot of teams took a hit. Uh, so I don't know if the team necessarily is going to splurge into free agency, but but. I don't know what do you, what do you guys think about the team actually dipping into free agency because they've been pretty they've held their cards to the vest they haven't really gone out and, and spent much because there hasn't been much of a reason to spend but at some point I think there's there's going to be a little pressure on them to win I, I know there's been fans grumbling a little bit more than usual about you know this is three bad years in a row um, I don't know Jeremy would you anticipate Dayton Moore being maybe a, I mean I'm not saying they're going to go after the top free agents but do you anticipate them maybe going being a little more aggressive after going after free agents? I read something by Sam Mellinger recently that made me really start thinking, and I can't remember which article it was. I think it was one of his his Mellinger minutes 
or Mellinger minutes, however you pronounce his name. I'll just call him Lopez. Um, <laughs> he he wrote that he when when uh, who's the guy that owns the team now? John Sherman. John 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 Lopez. Uh, John Sherman. Yes. Okay. I, I've done that joke to death now. Uh, John Sherman bought the team. Uh, Mellinger was saying, "Oh, you know, Dayton Moore's going to be here." Blah 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 blah. And then it was just a couple of weeks ago. He said, oh, "The timeline's probably reset for for Dayton Moore, and John Sherman's gonna." I mean, he doesn't have the relationship with Moore that Glass had, and 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 was just kind of implying that if things don't turn around pretty soon he didn't it kind of seemed like Dayton Moore would never get fired by David Glass but Mellinger was kind of implying that if Dayton Moore doesn't get things turned around soon that he could be on the hot seat um maybe not immediately but in a couple of years and he doesn't normally talk like that it made me feel like he had some kind of source that was saying you know Dayton Moore does not have a lifetime ticket anymore and so to me, that means Dayton Moore, if Sam Mellinger knows it, then Dayton Moore does. And if Dayton Moore does have more money, and he's always said wins are important, even if it's from 70 to 75. I mean, it doesn't matter in the standings. It makes it harder to draft, but that's his philosophy. So if he's got money and he can spend it, and and John Sherman hasn't been you know shy about uh, about spending his money necessarily. The Royals didn't furlough or lay off any front office employees. They didn't lay off any minor leaguers. They paid them through the entire season, even though there was no minor league season. Uh, so I think they might spend some money in free agency next year. Like you said, not necessarily going after the top tier guys, but but not necessarily shopping in the dumpster either. Yeah, I mean, like when you remember Dayton Moore took over, like he took over a really bad team in 2006 and then they went out the next year and splurged on Gilmesh um, and you know I think you're right I think he does even if there isn't necessarily heat on him from the front office or from the ownership group uh, which I don't know yeah I, that's interesting that you mentioned that I don't know if if, if owner the ownership uh, you know and I know that they there was a lot of reports about how much they loved Dayton more but eventually I think there's going to be some some pressure to win but even if it didn't come from ownership I think Dayton Moore himself would have would be putting pressure on himself to win. I know he does not enjoy the last three years of, of losing baseball, and so he he may feel some pressure on himself to go out and be a little more aggressive in fielding uh, a team with more talent. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see them make a, a push towards someone. I don't know, Sean. What do you what are you kind of anticipating out of the off season um, from the Royals? Yeah, I mean, I'm just expecting them to just continue the kind of I don't know buy low model is the word to call it, but um, the kind of just scoop up. Some, some vets or, um, you know, because right now playing time is basically a commodity. Uh, and they've got a ton of it, um, the Royals. They've got a ton of spots that you could, you know, play a guy first at third. You've got a lot of outfield spots. You've got tons of rotation spots. You've got some bullpen spots. So, I mean, you really do have the luxury of uh, playing time. Um, I think that they're going to continue to – go with uh, maybe sign some vets, um, hopefully reclamation vets like uh, Trevor Rosenthal. Um, or, I don't know. I don't see them spinning very big, to be honest. And I don't blame them. I mean, I, I wouldn't, if they went out and signed, I mean, you know, if they wanted to get Bryce Harper, or, you know, the equivalent of a Bryce Harper if he was in free agency, then yeah, that's that's fine. Um, but no, I don't see them being big players. Um, and, you know, that's never really been that big of Dayton Moore's 
M.O. necessarily. I mean, it's never been a big free agent signing guy in that sense of what, I mean, what is it, 70 million? Or I guess 72 or 75, whatever Gordon got. Um, I was thinking Kennedy's deal. So Kennedy is the biggest true free agent they've ever signed. Um, and it was a whopping 70 million, um, which nowadays seems like nothing for some teams. So I don't expect them to, to do much uh, signings other than that kind of um, scooping up some, uh, some you know, 29, 30, 31 year old guys who, uh, you know, are maybe flippable. Yeah, I, I think uh, I could see them using their financial flexibility as perhaps a, a weapon. And, you know, there are some teams out there who are looking there. I mean, there are quite a few teams, I think, that are looking to kind of dump salary, either to get under the luxury tax threshold or just because of the economics of the game, especially now that we have a lot of teams that are probably taking a big, pretty big economic hit. So I, I wouldn't be, you know, I think it'd be wise to do, and I think I can see, I can actually see them doing this, of going out and saying to other teams, okay, we'll take some of your, you know, a bad contract, or not even a, a, that bad of a contract, maybe just a guy that's a little bit overpriced, uh, who's maybe still an okay player, uh, just because we need a, a center fielder, we need a pitcher, um, and, and, and if you give us, a, uh, maybe you give us a, a prospect to make it worth our while, and we've seen other teams kind of do that to some great success. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did that, or maybe even they just took a guy uh, and said, uh, you know, a guy that was okay but overpriced, and say we'll just take him for like a you know a, a nothing prospect and and uh, just pretty much absorb his contract because we can and we need players yeah. and ho- and yeah. and you're kind of buying low on him and selling high and hoping he turns it around. Yeah, and hopefully the new ownership, um, hopefully that's an operative under the new ownership as opposed to the prior ownership, which was very much not uh, the case there for doing that. So. You know, not not that way. I expected uh, Sherman to you know drop two hundred million on a free agent or something, but um, you know him coming in, the the fanfare has been that the purse strings are going to be a little uh, more open. So that sounds like it'd be something he'd be more uh, amenable to. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I, the, David Glass, for you know, you say you say what you want about him. He did spend money when the team uh, was winning, but when it came to like being creative about adding talent for players that weren't on the roster or, you know, like he wouldn't eat a contract to get more talent back. And in fact, he did all he could to keep from paying, uh, you know, uh, contracts. So, you know, we, we have the, the Joaquin Soria deal. They, they traded away a pretty good asset in Scott Alexander just so they could get rid of the Soria contract. They, uh, you know, got rid of, uh, Ryan Buchter, uh, or excuse me, uh, was it the, uh, Travis, Travis Wood, uh, they, you know, yeah, probably, definitely. yeah, they, they did what they could to get rid of the Travis, Travis Wood contract, maybe giving up better prospects in Matt Strom and uh, Estuie Ruiz so they could get rid of the Travis Wood deal. So hopefully that kind of attitude changes because it's like it's sunk money. It's, it's, it's a sunk cost. You're already paying that money. You might as well get some good talent back for it rather than try to, you know, save six million dollars on a bad deal. So, uh, you know, with the financial flexibility next year, uh, and because I think they only have like thirty six million dollars in, in salary obligations next year. Uh, hopefully they can be kind of aggressive and, 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 you know, help some teams out that are in a financial crunch, but also helping themselves out by maybe adding some talent uh, to the roster. And, and I would like to see them improve. I mean, three, three losing seasons is, is, you know, good for tanking, but usually in that fourth year, that's when, you know, the Cubs started to turn things around. It's when the Astros kind of turn things around. The White Sox, I think are in their, their fourth year and they're really turning things around. I think the Royals are maybe, a, you know, quite a, quite a bit behind where those rebuilds were. So I would like to see some progress next year, uh, and hopefully they can start making that progress. 
Uh, let's wrap up with our Royals review reviews. Uh, Jeremy, uh, what do you have for us this week? So Marvel's Avengers by, I think it's Crystal Dynamics distributed by uh, Square Enix came out last week. And this game is kind of a funny story for me because when I watched the first trailer for the game, I was I was convinced it was going to be awful. The characters looked like bad ripoffs of uh, of the movie versions of the characters, and I just wasn't convinced after playing a whole bunch of other Marvel games that they could make one that I would enjoy. Uh, and then I tried the beta a couple weeks ago, and I fell immediately in love with it, and then I immediately pre-ordered it. And then I got it and realized that it's basically a Destiny clone, and I can't stand Destiny. But I've still been playing it with every free moment for the past uh, three days. I didn't start it till Saturday night, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And they hired some real top tier voice talent, and and the characters are obviously not very dissimilar from what you're used to in the movies, because the characters in the movies are based on the comic book characters, and so are these. Um, but they do take things in slightly different directions so that it doesn't end up feeling like a terrible ripoff job. It ends up feeling like, you know, uh, just a different take on it. Kind of like you'll see with, uh, different comic book writers will, will do different things with, uh, with different characters and, and it's been a lot of fun and I, I, uh, definitely recommend it to anybody who likes, uh, loot shooters like destiny, but maybe doesn't care for the shooter part or anybody who just wants to uh, play, a, uh, it's the campaign's not very long. I actually just finished it right before we started recording the podcast. So if all you care about is the campaign, you might want to wait until the sale. But it's it's a solid campaign for a loot. Sh- uh, it's a really good campaign for a looter game. Uh, most of those don't have very interesting campaigns. So take that for what you will but i i'm really having a lot of fun with it and i'm looking forward to digging deeper and deeper into it uh now that i finish the campaign what's the name of it again marvel's avengers marvel's avengers all right uh sean what about you jeremy said anything like the uh comic book series is it based off of that at all or the movies uh it's not based on the I'm movies at I'm all just, okay sorry okay. i'm just kidding it's i don't know about I don't know specific comic storylines because I never read the comics. I basically, I watched the cartoons and I've watched the movies. Yeah. I figured the comics have always, always intimidated me to the point that I just won't even try. It would have been funny if it was Marvel Avengers and it was like a sports game or, you know, it had nothing to do with <laughs> the Marvel That would universe. be like a team of Iron Men playing yeah. soccer. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, or like a first person shooter or something. I, um... I saw Tenet, which is uh, Christopher Nolan's latest film, on Sunday. Um, Brave the theater, and somehow I was the only... Well, not somehow, it makes sense, but uh, my wife and I were the only ones in the theater, basically. Um, so that was great. And um, it was a, It's a Christopher Nolan movie, man. If you guys... Uh, if you guys don't like Christopher Nolan movies, you're not going to like this that much, because it is about as confusing as it gets. Uh, I literally was reading the Wikipedia the entire time, Uh I had to follow along on Wikipedia to figure out what was going on. It was so confusing. And, um, but it's, I mean, for what it's worth, it's a great action movie. And I think Christopher Nolan is the best action director, uh, 
currently directing films at the moment um and so it's a spectacle and it's freaking awesome uh to watch and you could absolutely just sit back and enjoy it as an action movie um but if you like nolan like i do um and you like kind of thinking as well and kind of the idea behind the movie is pretty cool um i've read about the idea of the movie um reverse entropy is what it's about and it's it's not physically possible but it's still kind of cool to play around with uh so it's just kind of more the same of great music great action really confusing plot um but I think it's great. And, you know, if you and the other edition of a Nolan movie is that you can't tell what people are saying 45 <laughs> percent of the time, which if you've seen Dunkirk, that's exactly what Dunkirk is. Less confusing plot, obviously. Um, or Interstellar. Interstellar is kind of sometimes really tough to hear what the heck people are saying. But there are literally moments of this film <laughs> where I have no idea what was said. And it was it was important. I mean, there there were important moments of the film that, like, there's this one scene where they're on a boat and they have microphones, uh, but no one has the character say like four or five sentences, and then they put their microphones up to their face. It's like, what's the point of that? Uh, so it's really hard to follow along. So it's definitely if you want to wait till it's streaming and you can get subtitles, totally cool. Um, but fantastic film, not not in his top three or four um, as I rank would rank them, but still a great film and it's you know it's a spectacle to no one film it's it's must watch basically so uh, it's interesting you mentioned Nolan because I uh, I, I know you you're a big fan of his and I he's actually one of my favorite directors as well uh, I kind of went on a Christopher Nolan binge last week um, uh, yeah. son, my son and I watched the Batman trilogy which he had never seen any of them before and I'd actually never seen the last one so it was good to catch up on that and then uh, I watched Interstellar for the first time, which you're right. It's, oh, nice. Some parts are, are very difficult to understand. But, uh, yeah. and, and that one, I, I thought I was expecting, I guess, something a little more uh, convoluted with the plot. But I, I, I was actually, I think, fairly straightforward. Uh, but I, I am curious. I'm interested in seeing Tenet. Is it available? Is it only available in theaters? Yeah, I mean it's a two hundred whatever million dollar film, so they're trying to get you know they're trying to get the money for that. Um, but I could see it. I, I could see it hitting like a streaming service plat. Uh, excuse me, a subscription or a whatever you want to call it, VOD, a video on demand platform, um, soon ish. But yeah, for right now, it's it's going to stay in theaters just to kind of try to recoup as much. And I think it's going to do. I think it's pretty close already to doing that. I mean, Nolan movies usually make like five, six hundred million. This one might just break even. Um, well, they only made I, like I think twenty think, million the opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, but I did well internationally. Okay, um, is what they're the, is the expectation. So we'll see because you know the U.S. is like one of the few countries that isn't allowing full movie theater experiences. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's think. The cool, the good thing is, is that it's a, it's Christopher Nolan. If this was Joe Schmo director that put this out, like he probably would not get another two hundred million dollar film. But <laughs> studios will just give control. We'll just give Nolan all the money he needs. So, well, and there's a lot of extenuating circumstances if this movie doesn't do yeah. well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah. So it's uh, Tenet by uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, speaking of streaming, I guess my recommendation this week uh, is um, Money Heist. Uh, I was streaming it on Netflix. Uh, and I've made it through the first two parts of it. And I, I did read, I think it was Alec Lewis wrote an article about Adalberto Montesi coming back uh, from his shoulder injury, and he was a big fan of Money Heist. So uh, I didn't I didn't uh, watch it just because of that. Actually, uh, heist movies are like my favorite genre of film. So I love like Inside Man and um, Ocean's Eleven and uh, even con movies like The, the Sting. 
So uh, Money Heist, I think, is very much in that vein. Uh, it's, it's a Spanish film, so it's set in Spain. Uh, it was filmed in Spain. Uh, but it's basically about uh, a group of eight robbers trying to rob the Royal Mint of Spain. And, uh, you know, it's just really clever. It's a lot like Breaking Bad in that each week uh, there's, like, a new obstacle. And you're like, oh, how the heck are they going to get their way out of that uh, out of that predicament? And every week they somehow they're clever enough to figure out a way to get out of a tense situation. So, uh, you know, it's really good at ratcheting up, ratcheting up the tension. Uh, there's a lot of character development along the way because it, you know, it's it's the first two seasons like they don't leave the bank, <laughs> so uh, so it does take a long time. As long as you're not like dying for them to see, to see how they get out of the bank, uh, and you're willing to kind of be patient and see, you know, each of the characters kind of play out a little bit and see how the the plot plays out. It's it's a it's a real neat experience and it's it's kind of cool. I like seeing kind of foreign shows a little bit just because you get a glimpse of how their culture is a little bit. Uh, which is a little bit different than ours. So uh, it's in Spanish, so it is in subtitles, uh, which some people don't like. But if you don't mind that, I would I would highly recommend uh, Money Heist uh, on streaming on Netflix. Do if you like if you like Ocean's the heist movies in Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. Did you see Logan Lucky ever? Same guy. That, uh, I almost watched it over the weekend. It's like right. It's next on my queue. But I, okay. I yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's so good. Okay, cool. There's yeah. another, there's my other rec then. If nobody's seen Logan, same guy, Steven yeah. Soderbergh did the Ocean's movie. It's fantastic. I always take uh, recommendations for heist films. I think they're awesome. So, uh, well, that'll do us for for us this week. Uh, many thanks to JJ Cooper of Baseball America for being on, and definitely subscribe to Baseball America. And thanks to Sean and Jeremy for being on the show. And thank you to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey!